All right, as we, uh, we'll just start with a quick prayer. <clears throat> this is the uh, opening prayer uh, for the solemnity of Jesus Christ, King of the universe. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. We ask, Lord, that glorying in obedience to the commands of Christ, the King of the universe, we may live with him eternally in his heavenly home. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So the, <clears throat> just the, the point of this first talk, I mean, the whole point of the retreat, right, is just to go a little deeper, to love just a little more, um, to move a little further into the spiritual life. And I just want to talk about Christ as King, um, because that name... <clears throat> If you, if you look at the, right now, I mean, in, the, in, in our world, there's a lot of uh, look uh, to government for leadership. There's a lot of looking to people to provide something, someone. Um, and the whole point of Christ as king is that he was meant to rule over us, right? We were never meant to have a king. We were never meant to have a president. We were never meant, God is to be the king, right? God is to be the one that rules over us. And I think that, I, you know, and I, I say a lot of times, I think that we run from his reign. And when I say we, I mean me, and I think you guys do too, right? Like, we know often what he's asking of us, but we just can't quite get there. There's this, this beautiful uh, quote from Hans Urs von Balthasar. He says this. He says, Jesus always says to me today, and it is now that I want you to, I want to be loved, but I lower my eyes and say, I will love you tomorrow. And he says, I'm coming, I'm coming right away, the child cries to his mother when she calls him. And he finishes playing his game, thinking that surely obedience includes a certain period of grace, a human margin. Who could all at once make a clean break with his life? And if I must nevertheless feel the pain of separation, then at least yield to this point and make me this one concession. You may take me tomorrow if only you let me have today. I am even prepared to take up your cross and follow you all the way to the cross, station after station to the end, to complete sacrifice and the definitive death under one condition, that it is tomorrow. I love that quote because <clears throat> there's, I, I mean, I myself have been, there's stuff I've been, for years, I know God is asking me to do, and I still haven't done it. And I think oftentimes, you know, when we, when we don't do it, we end we end up hiding from him. Or if we do something that is against the reign of God, <clears throat> against his kingdom, and it's something severe, we often run away from it. It all goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, right? What's the first question that God asked Adam and Eve? Where are you, right? Because <clears throat> the minute they did something, they hide from God. And if today you notice a greater lack of faith in the world, I'm starting to believe that it's not on account of uh, the philosophical ideologies of the world or the rise of secular pluralism, or even the great atheistic movements and political agendas. I think it's on account of the way we live. And the reason the kingship of Christ is not so evident in the world is because he no longer reigns in human hearts. But in order to understand how God's kingship works, we have to understand, <clears throat> we have to go back about 1,200 years before Christ, to the time of Gideon. You guys remember the story of Gideon? So Gideon is going to, you know, the Jews and the Arabs have been fighting. They were fighting back then. They've been fighting for 3,500 years, right? They, but they were fighting back then, and the, the, the Jews were 
incredibly outnumbered, right, in the battle that Gideon was asked to fight, God asked him to fight. It was, they, they estimated he had an army of about 35,000, and uh, the Jew, or the Arabs had an army of about 120,000. So they're outnumbered three to one already. And what does God do, right? He says, Gideon, your army's too big. So, I mean, imagine being this guy, right? I mean, he's not a general. He was, he was just asked to lead this army, and he's outnumbered three to one, and God says, your, your army's too big. And so he says, tell all of those people that don't want to be here, you know, the cowards, tell them to go home. And so two-thirds of the army leaves. So now he's got 10,000. God says, your army's too big. It's 120,000 to 10,000 now. And he says, take them down to the river, and have them drink, drink from the river. And he says, and so most of them laid down prostrate and drunk with their face in the water, right? There were 300 of them that cupped the water to their mouth. And he said, that's your army. Why those 300? Some, some biblical scholars say that because when they, when they cupped the water to their mouth, they had one hand on their sword. Mm-hmm. So those are the, those are the, the real warriors. <clears throat> and so now you have 300 to 120,000. Right? I, I, and, and God says, don't worry. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. I got to be honest, if I, you know, if I made the cut for the squad, <laughs> I'd be like, I'm not sure I want to be part of this uh, army anymore. The crazy part is, is that Gideon wins the battle. It's unbelievable. And it was so historic that for the first time in the history of Israel, they said, we want to make you king. And Gideon said, we have no king but God. God, is, God reigns over us. He is our king. 200 years passed, and the Jewish people ask again for a king, right? And the Jewish nations around them had kings, so why didn't they have a king? So, right? It's the same thing with the church. So often we get so deep into the world. Well, the world has this. We have to have this, right? And so they end up getting a king, right? And it's Saul. And then from Saul, you know, you get David, from David, you get Solomon, and then it just completely collapses. If you read the book of Kings, it's kind of humor. I mean, it's humorous, but it's sad. But it'll be like, you know, Jeroboam became king, and he did far worse than any other kings before him. <laughs> you know, like, they just kept getting worse and worse and worse. But in Samuel, right, the book of Samuel, he tells the people what's going to happen. I just want to read this to you. <clears throat> he says, if, 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 if you get a king, this is what's going to happen to you if it's, if it's not God. The rights of the king who will rule you will be as follows. He will take your sons and assign them to his chariots and horses. They will run before his chariots. He will also appoint from among them his commanders of groups of thousands and hundreds of soldiers. He will set them to do his plowing and his harvesting, to make his implements for war and equipment for his chariots. He will use your daughters as ointment makers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields, vineyards, and olive groves and give them to his officials. He will tithe your crops and your vineyards and give the revenue to his eunuchs and his slaves. He will take your male and female servants as well as your best oxen and asses and use them to do his works. He will tithe your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. (laughs) And the people still say, we want a king. It's unbelievable. Even at that warning, they still take the earthly king. Then when it comes to the life of Christ... Wise men come out of the East and say, where is this newborn king of the Jews, right? And where they expect to find a throne or a palace, they find a barn or a cave and this little baby laying in straw poverty amongst feeding animals. So when the king of heaven finally comes, 
the true king, right? Is that, and the reason every other king had failed is because God was the one that was meant to be king. But when he comes, did they actually want him? Did they want the king of kings? No. Right? And even when Pilate, there's a great line when Pilate said to the people, he said, who should I release to you? Jesus, the king of, Jew, king of the Jews, or Barabbas? I don't know if you know this, but there's a play on words in that. Do you know what Barabbas means? Son of the Father. Yeah, it means son of the Father. So he says, should I give you this fake son of the Father, or should I give you the real son of the Father? And they, they want the fake one. They want the worldly one, not the divine one. And they says, so what am I supposed to do with your king? And he said, we have no king but Caesar. We have no king but the world. The world is what reigns in us. And I think that that is just, it's crept so deeply into the church that the kingship of Christ is not reigning right now, right? Um, <clears throat> and then, you know, people, I don't know if you guys have ever heard this. It's a, I don't even know who wrote it, but it's basically the cycle of civilization, right? Every 200 years, the cycle of civilization. If you haven't heard it, it's, 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 it goes like this. It's a 12-step pro- program. <laughs> From bondage to faith, from faith to courage, from courage to strength, from strength to liberty, from liberty to abundance, from abundance to leisure, from leisure to selfishness, from selfishness to complacency, from complacency to apathy, from apathy to dependence, from dependence to weakness, from weakness to bondage. It's just, it's a complete cycle, right? And so... When Jesus comes, he's not going to give you an easy way, right? There's no easy way to be a ruler of humanity. No, and, and for him, it's no self-focus, no self-interest, only the cross. As all different people, you know, pass by him, there's all these ridicules. And I'll talk more about that in the second, uh, second talk as the actual crucifixion and what it was. But ridiculing was part of the spectacle, right, of crucifixion. And one of the ridicules that it just it constantly like is in the back of my mind is when they say, come down. Right? If you want us to believe that you're really God, then just come off the cross. Right? But he doesn't. He just hangs there, dying. Because he has to. Because that's what he came to do. Right? Could he have come off the cross? Yeah, for sure. There's a great line, Catherine of Siena says that the nails never would have held him to the cross if love hadn't held him there first. Right? So he's there, and we're going to look at that deeper so you can under, have a deeper understanding of what's going on right in front of you, this big cross that I have uh, against the altar. But how many times do you and I hear that come down from the cross? Right? What is that? I mean, what, what is that? It means, it means take the easy road. Right? Every time, you know, they, young people, they want to be good when their friends are bad. They're like, come down from the cross. Don't stay up there. And when you stay up there, they make fun of you because... That's the ridicule that's gone down through the millennia. Or when you, you know, you're at work, you don't witness to Christ because you're afraid of a promotion, not getting it, or you're afraid of losing your job. There's a lot of ways that the world tells us to come down from the cross. But only Jesus hangs, right? And, and when you look at him, this crucified man, he does not look like a king. Right? But there is one man that recognizes him that day, right? And the thief. Somehow he looks through the crown of thorns, through the beatings, through the, the, the massacre of this body. And he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus acknowledges it. He says, this day will you will be with me in paradise. So what does this kingdom look like? I think it's, it's, it's so clearly laid out in the Our Father. If you guys notice in the, in the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms, they would say they would double up on things to make a point. So like... In the Psalms, they would say the Lord is the ruler of the universe. He rules over all men. 
saying it's saying the same thing, right? In the Our Father, right, it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done. So the kingdom of Christ is the will of Christ, doing his will. So are you doing his will is the question. Or where are you missing his will? Right? It doesn't because the thing is, is like if if, if you're not doing as well or you're doing something against it, you just change the way you think. There was a psychologist one time I was talking to on a plane. And he said, it's easier to change the way you think than it is to change the way you act. Right? So just if, 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 I, if I'm struggling with something, whatever that thing is, I just tell myself it's okay. Right? I, Fulton Sheen had a story about that when, you know, he was, he was giving a talk and this woman freaked out on him about his stance on abortion. I've even experienced this, actually. I mean, he has, he has a better story than I do, but like... Where the person's just, I mean, screaming at me for no reason, right? And I'm like, I'm like, ma'am, your response is so, like, disproportionate to what I'm saying that there's something else is wrong here, you know? And, and Sheen says, you know, he says to the one, he says, did, did you have an abortion? And that was it, right? She just broke down. He ended up witnessing, I, I think she became a religious sister. But that was the block. That was the one thing. And every, I'm telling you, you, I mean, we can all put on a face, but there is, some of us have one thing, some of us have a lot of things. But there is one thing that is blocking, or maybe several things that are blocking us from being who we're, like, we were created to be. And that's something you need to pray with on this retreat. What is it? What is the one thing? Maybe it's 10 things. I don't know. (laughs) Right? But let's just look, let's just ask Jesus for one. What's the one thing that's blocking me from going even deeper into what I want to, you know, who I want to be as, as a Christian. Because I think a lot of people make bad decisions in their lives, and it may be way back, right? I mean, we've got guys that are a little bit older, we've got guys that are younger, but it might be way back before there was a conversion in your life. And you can't deal with that, or you just press it down, or you don't want to, right? But by doing that, it just makes things worse. And then there's, become, there's a block, and grace can't get in. I've seen this so much. I think I mentioned this in, in one of my homilies at St. Joe's, when we had that that healing service, my gosh, the biggest block to people receiving healing is they can't forgive themselves for something they've done. Right? And you, and, and you would look at people and you're like, well, surely not this guy. <laughs> but, but it is. There's, there's, there's all these things in our past. And sometimes you just, you just feel like you can't be forgiven. And that blocks, that blocks your movement of grace. And it causes you to want to go back to, to, to something easier. Right? Jesus is always calling us. He's, he's trying to pull us up to the cross. The world's trying to pull us down off the cross. And so what is, holding, what is, what is stopping you right, from going deep with him and, and, under, like, and experiencing what he wants you to experience in this life? So what is the block right, to, to his kingdom? I just want to look at, really quickly at a Zacchaeus. I think he's a, a good example for us. Right? I don't you know. Jericho is, I think... Could be wrong on this. I think it's the oldest inhabited city in the world. It's something like five or six thousand years old, <clears throat> and it's always had people in it. And back during the time of Zacchaeus, it was once considered one of the most beautiful cities of the world too. It was super wealthy, and <clears throat> it was—I think it was mainly wealthy because it was a central hub for taxes, right? And it says Zacchaeus is the the chief tax collector, right? So he's not like one of the guys on the side. And you know the, how this would work is the chief tax collector would go to the Romans and say, what, do you, what, what are the taxes? And they'd say, 10 million. 
And then Zacchaeus would go back and collect 15 million, keep five for himself, give the Romans 10. So not only were you working for the Romans, right? But you were also cheating your own people. That's why they were like the most hated people in, in, the, in the world, especially in the Jewish world. But he would have also been, this is important to know, he would have also been probably the richest man in Jericho next to the, the, the Roman officials that were there. Okay, so this guy's got a lot to lose, right? And sometimes you have to do really foolish things, right? Like you have to humiliate yourself. So I just, I try to get into your head that like Zacchaeus, right? Like think of like, I don't know, he, he doesn't really have to wear a suit and a Rolex, but think of like, I don't know, a Versace made robe, <laughs> right? I mean, he has like the finest clothes on. Think of Matthew from The Chosen, finest clothes on, and he climbs a tree. Like this is, they, every, and everybody knows who this guy is. And he, he makes a total, you know, spectacle out of this. And all it says, it says that he just wanted to see Jesus, who he was. He wasn't expecting a miracle. He wasn't asking for a healing. He wasn't asking for forgiveness. He just wanted to see who he was. And then Jesus calls him by name, right? And Zacchaeus goes from a, a spectator in a tree, right? Like what, me? And then all of a sudden, he, when he chooses to come down, Right? Because Zacchaeus, Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to stay with you today. He runs down from the tree and says, in that, in that moment, he experienced great joy. So his block, right? And you had, you, I mean, think about what he had to walk away from. Think about the, the hatred that people had for him. Think about like the, the undoing that he would have to do. You know, there's a beautiful line when he says, every, I will pay back everybody I've cheated and give away half of my possessions. That's basically saying I'm going to give away everything I have. So all of his money, all of his stuff, and he, the block is gone and he can get and he receives toll. And we don't even, you know, we really don't know what happened to Zacchaeus. There's, there's a couple traditions of it that he actually became like a, a great disciple and follower. Um, but, the, but the point is, is that joy enters in and that Jesus demands all. So I just want to close with this quote from uh, Napoleon. I just received this. I don't know if you guys have ever heard this. I thought, it was, I thought this was awesome. So this is Napoleon. He's, uh, he's on St. Helena, which is a little tiny island off the west coast of Africa, 1,200 miles off the west coast. He's literally in the middle of the Atlantic alone, thinking about his whole life, all of his success, all of his accomplishments, and all of his failures. He says this, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself have founded great empires. But upon what did these creations of our genius depend? Upon force. Jesus alone founded his empire upon love. And to this very day, millions will die for him. I think I understand something of the human nature. And I tell you, all of these were human. And I am a human. None else is like him. Jesus Christ was more than a human. I have inspired multitudes with such an enthusiastic devotion that they would have died for me. But to do this, it was necessary that I should be visibly present with my electric influence, my looks, my words, and my voice. When I saw men and spoke to them, I lighted up a flame of self-devotion in their hearts. Christ alone has succeeded in so raising the mind of man toward the unseen that it becomes insensible to the barriers of time and space. Across a chasm of 1,800 years, Jesus Christ makes a demand which is beyond all others difficult to satisfy. He asks for that which a philosopher may often seek in vain at the hands of his friends 
or a father of his children, or a bride of her spouse, or a man of his brother. He asks for the human heart, and he will have it entirely. He demands it unconditionally, and forthwith he demands it, his demand is granted. Wonderful, in defiance of time and space, the soul of man, with all its powers and faculties, becomes an annexation to the empire of Christ. All who sincerely believe in him experience that remarkable, supernatural love toward him. This phenomenon is unaccountable. It is altogether beyond the scope of man's creative power. Time, the great destroyer, is powerless to extinguish this sacred flame. Time can neither exhaust its strength nor put a limit to its range. This is it, which strikes me most. I, may, I have often thought of it, that <clears throat> this it is which proves to me quite convincingly that Jesus Christ is God. That for 2,000 years he's been demanding the human heart. For 2,000 years people have been giving him their, their hearts without, without seeing him and had a flame of love that has changed the world. And so my encouragement to you guys <clears throat> as, you, as we uh, you know, continue to pray and, and move forward is to ask God what, what it is. What's the thing that's holding you back? What's the thing that he's asking of you? And then just to pray for the grace to do it. Right? It might be big, it might be small. Don't take on ten things. Just one. If you can come out of here with one thing that you need to change in your life and you consistently change every single day to conform to his will and his kingdom, it's a beautiful retreat. So take some time to think about that. Just a couple of scripture passages if you guys want to pray through them. Uh, Matthew 10, 37 to 39. And I can put these, I can put this downstairs too, just if you guys, if you don't have a pen. Uh, Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Luke 19, the whole chapter. And then uh, first letter of John, chapter 2, 15 to 17. So. Okay, uh, as far as the schedule, let me look here. 